Hello and welcome to this week's Football Digest Extra Time. I'm Ned Keating, video journalist at The Mirror and I'm joined this morning uh, by Daily Star Sports reporter and Man United fan Warren Muggleton uh, to look back at Man United's 3-1 win at Tottenham in the Premier League yesterday. Warren, first things first, how are you this morning? I'm very well. I woke up with a smile on my face this morning <laughs> after yesterday's result in North London, I have to say. I mean, it's it's amazing when you look at that game. And all I could do was really think back to the obliteration at Old Trafford that Spurs handed to them for the 6-1. I mean, at that time, United were 16th. They'd lost their, both of their home games. And Tottenham, they four in and they was they were top in terms of goals scored. And then you look at it, it's just night and day from what you saw at that time. And United, as you just said, they showed that character in the second half. It was a very nervy first half, to be honest. I was waiting. We were really waiting for United to get started. Thought they had VAR intervened, of course. And in a weird way, the Son Heung-min goal, I think that actually brought about United's best football barley. Yeah, after the Son Heung-min goal and after the VAR, that just lit a fire under them. And they came out firing that second half. They were superb, absolutely superb in that second half. Three goals, brilliant result. One player for me who really, really stood out yesterday probably should have had two goals really in the end, uh, Edinson Cavani. Um, you know, superb, superb all-around performance. Gave Eric Dyer a run around not too hard, but uh, Eric Dyer didn't really know where he was. Um, from your point of view, Edinson Cavani yesterday uh, gave the performance that kind of almost convinced you that if you could try and do everything that you can to keep him rather than him going back to South America to potentially in the summer, that's what Man United really need to do, isn't it? He's just such a, a fox in the box, such a wily operator and he showed that yesterday. Absolutely. I think he's, uh, his, him staying at United has probably jumped up to probably top priority now in United's transfer to-do list over the summer, I'd say. But if we do have to lose him, he's shown there's two factors that he'll have to replace and they're going to be very expensive to replace. And one of them is his creativity and one of them is his clinical movement because his creativity, he's, he's, that's what he does. He kind of has that role. He doesn't just play as the number seven as well as the forward. He gets involved in the attacking play as well. We saw that in the build-up to the Fred goal uh, and we also saw that in some of the other goals as well but also his movement for the disallowed goal. His movement between the two defenders was absolutely textbook for any centre forward. And it's something that's going to be extremely expensive for United to replace if they have to do it, which is why, I mean, that's probably why Harry Kane is in that discussion because he has those similar traits. Although they probably weren't on show yesterday, uh, Ned, I think you'd probably say that, that they have similar traits in that respect. That's something Mourinho certainly built into Harry Kane's play. And that's probably why he is... In the, in the talk for United over the summer as well. If he does go back to South America, he will be sorely missed. I mean, he, it, the clinicalness actually shows in the stats. Two shots and two shots on target, both of them hitting the back of the net. That tells you all you need to know, to be honest. He knows how to find a space. And it's something that is so expensive to replace. That's why United are in the conversation with Erling Haaland, who has a similar sort of clinical movement in the box. And Harry Kane in the same respect. So he said, Jose Mourinho has brought that sort of goals and assists. He's brought that creativity. That's what also Cavani has brought into United's play. And that is the thing that I think is going to be so hard to replace. And that's why I think Kane has to be in the discussion as well. There's, a, there's something telling me that we should move on from Cavani. I mean, why don't we talk about the VAR perspective? If I give the United take on it, I mean, the VAR goal, the VAR disallowed goal, for those of you who somehow managed to not see it, we saw Cavani hit the back of the net from a Pogba assist, but the VAR official, Craig Pawson, 
looked back and saw Scott McTominay's hand hit Song Hyun Min on the face as he was running forwards. And that's in the end, that ruled out the goal. And it was a real disappointment. Mike Phelan's face said it all. He was just sitting there looking up to the heavens. And there's been so many takes on it already. And the majority of pundits are saying that it just it's ruining the game. It's killing the game. Part of me feels it's in that way, but I think actually it sort of brings to light a possible solution to the VAR problem. Now, in rugby union, the way it works with the third, the, the TMO, television match official, is the referee has to ask them, is there any reason why I cannot award this try? And it goes up to the TMO to sort of have a look at it and find any mitigation and say, right, this is a reason why it shouldn't be this. This is the problem I think there is, is that it's the VAR official overrules in a way what the referee is saying on the pitch. So when it comes to him, he has a look. And then as we've seen, as soon as it goes to the screen, it becomes a case of the decision is getting changed. So I think that's where the problem comes. I think the referee has to keep the authority when it comes to these VAR decisions. But it was just a bit of a farce, let's be honest. I mean, I've given the Man United side of it. I mean, what was your take on it? Um, it's not a foul, is it really, at the end of the day, pure and simple? Um, it's, it, 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 you know, as everyone said, if that's, if that's a foul, then we all need to go home. Um, do I blame some for going down like that? No, every player does that nowadays, don't they? They all, they all go down because they all know that that's probably the best way to get a foul. Should he is, like, is it setting a good example to kids? No, it's not because it's teaching them to to uh, over-egg stuff and, and you'll get, you know, you're more likely to get stuff on a pitch. Um, and crucially as well, does that foul, foul um, have any impact on Man United scoring the goal, stopping them from scoring the goal? No, it doesn't. You know, Son's nowhere near getting that ball off of off of uh, McTominay. And then obviously the subsequent passes that, you know, we didn't stop playing them. We still try to, to prevent it. That ball doesn't lead to Cavani, uh, you know, proper sticking the ball through the legs of Aurier and then Cavani putting the ball in the back of the net. That foul on Son has no bearing on that. That still happens regardless of whether or not it gets touched in the face or he doesn't. Um, the other thing that I will say is that VAR was actually probably used in a good way yesterday to make sure that the referee was the one to check the decision. Um, in terms of the process of using VAR, I like that. But in terms of the actual decision that he came to, completely and utterly wrong. And that's coming from a Spurs fan who should be you know, saying that, oh, no, 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 it was a foul. And you know, you'd be angry, you'd be livid. Like, you know, if, if that... Was on, if the boot was on the other foot and Son had hit McTominay in the face and then that had led to us not getting a goal, you'd be laughing. Like, you, you wouldn't, you, you know, you'd just be livid with that. And, and you know, I'm just glad that probably in the end that, that it didn't cost United the game because the deserved team, the right team still won and, and still got the three points in the end. From your kind of viewpoint as a, you know, as a Man United fan, you've, you've enjoyed maybe more endured football under Mourinho uh, in the past. Um, is it something that bears the hallmarks of a you know, a typical Mourinho team? Just try and get that one goal. You know, we'll always just get the one goal and then sit back and, and defend because, you know, I'm sure the, the football that United are playing now and, and the football that they played at times yesterday is nowhere near as bad and as dull as it might have been under Mourinho, what, three years ago nearly now? Yeah, oh, I think absolutely. I mean, I think the game strategy and the substitution show from Tottenham's perspective, that that's exactly what Mourinho, I mean, the bus was out and he was really trying to keep it parked in that space, but United just found their way around it. I mean, you look at, you look at the substitutions they made, you know, in the end, you had Sissoko coming on for 
uh, Giovanni Lacelso after 60 minutes. I think the goal had just been scored at that point. I think Mourinho's sort of style of football, it works a few years ago, but against a side with such attacking prowess and creativity, when you've got Pogba on his day, Cavani running through your lines, Bria Fernandes on, admittedly had a quiet day, but also Mason Greenwood when he came on was a huge difference. When you've got all that coming at you, and the type of defence that Tottenham have been doing, it's just not enough in that respect. You have to go out and attack the game. I think bringing on Sissoko, right idea, but just didn't quite do it. I think Bale should have probably been on a lot earlier. Eight minutes was not enough for him to have the impact that he probably could have had. I mean, we saw it by the end. They were making United fans sweat by the end. So uh, it was very much the hallmark of Mourinho style of play, but it seems like Solskjaer's football one in the end of the day. Before Sunday's game, of course, there was a lot of talk about Harry Kane's Tottenham future, whether or not he will stay or go in the summer, depending on whether or not they can achieve top four football. Uh, Warren, I just wanted to get your take really on the whole Kane situation and whether or not you think Spurs will lose him in the summer if they are unable to get that top four position. Yeah, I think <laughs> Kane will be having a bit of a think after this one, because from considering from where the season started, as we said before, there was so much hope for the obviously the Premier League, Europa League. Obviously, they've still got the Carabao Cup final to come, which is great, but it's just looking less and less likely. It's all sort of falling, going down that sinkhole so quickly. And I think you will start to look at this future. We, I mean, a couple of reports coming out this morning about Pochettino getting in touch at PSG. And I think, as we said before, I think the performance of Cavani highlights the fact that a creative and clinical forward will probably be needed at United next summer. And I think Kane fits that bill. So you would think he's going to be having a good hard think over the next few weeks. And I think it's likely we might be seeing Kane in a different colour shirt. I'm sorry to say it, Ned. I think that's what's going to happen. <laughs> no, no, I can, I, can, I can see that. It's just the, the fact about the money that might be um, being banded about. We're in a post-pandemic world, aren't we? So we don't know whether or not teams will be able to afford the 120, 150 million that Levy's going to demand. I also think it's a bit... I understand why he wants to leave. I understand why, you know, he might be... Um, caught in other clubs but I just find the timing a little bit strange in that you know he's still got three years left on his contract the power all lies with Levy in this situation that you know it's not like he's got a year left and it's you're kind of thinking to yourself well we're going to get no money for him next year so we've got to we've got to sell him now and try and get some money we've got you know six transfer windows between <laughs> now and then to go for all of this little merry-go-round um, but Perhaps strangely, uh, as a Spurs fan, I wouldn't be too sad to see him go if we can get that big, massive fee in for him because the squad needs a massive, massive rebuild. We've needed it probably for, you know, probably since after the Champions League final. Um, you know, that was probably the zenith of where this team, that team at that time could go uh, as a group and that we needed to invest in it more. Um, all we did was bring in Tongi and Domblay. Didn't really use him to the best of his abilities in that first season. Um, we didn't find his best position um, and, and we've kind of regressed since then. You know, Mourinho has not brought us forward as, as we hoped he would. He's, he's probably taken us backwards. Um, so, you know, if we were to, to sell Kane for 120, 150 million, again, you know, difficult in a post-pandemic world, it would allow us to, to maybe get rid of Mourinho and bring in another new manager, maybe bring in three or four other players start that kind of rebuilding process, bring in a young manager who can do what Pochettino did. I mean, if we look at Spurs, it's quite funny actually as well. I was thinking about this last night. If we look at Spurs and managerial appointments since probably going back to 2004, we seem to kind of have a bit like of an up and down thing. Um, so, you know, if we looked at it now, Mourinho bad, Pochettino good, 
VS Boas bad, Redknapp good, uh, <laughs> one day Ramos bad, Martin Yold good, and then Jacques Santini bad. And we seem to be on that. So I'm, I'm kind of telling myself in the mindset that at least the next managerial appointment should be good. But who knows whether or not Kane's going to be there when that one is made. I think I think there's used to be mentioned in that about man with the power is probably Levy. I think also someone that could have a bit of a say in it is actually Jesse Lingard. So you might have to bear with me on this one. But obviously Jesse Lingard, Man United player, been on loan at West Ham. He's been in such sensational form that you just cannot keep him out of the discussion now of whether should United really be spending the money this summer and should they just get him back in and put him back into that position and maybe just shuffle things up a bit. I mean, you look at the stats in his He's had nine games in the Premier League since he joined West Ham and he scored eight goals and made four assists. That's double what Marcus Rashford's done and it's more than what Mason Green was done and it's just ahead of Harry Kane. So you wonder actually whether United could do better by actually just getting Jesse Lingard back in, maybe shifting Marcus Rashford's centre-forward, get another centre-forward in, put Mason Green perhaps back in there and then it means Harry Kane can stay at Tottenham. But I mean, you know, <laughs> that might be a very interesting theory. But I think, yeah, in that respect, it's something that for Solskjaer, because I think that'll be the dilemma it comes down to. Do you stick with sort of bringing Lingard back or do you get Harry Kane back in? That's the question, I think. Be an interesting summer, uh, at least. And we, we could do it for good summer, to be fair, because the January transfer window wasn't much crack in the end, was it? Um, oh, it was very gosh, dull oh. and very quiet, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. Um, so we, we could do it for good I was, good I was waiting for something. I was like, I'm sorry, surely something's going <laughs> to <laughs> And nothing near it. It just sat there. No. I think Lingard was actually probably the biggest move at the, the, the whole window. Um, well, we're just looking ahead for both teams. Um, you know, she touched on there. We'll come on to Spurs in a second about the Carabao Cup. But for Man United, uh, uh, next game for them is the Europa League quarterfinal against Granada on Thursday. 2 0 up from that. Uh, good position to be in. Should make it through to the semi finals. And realistically, if you were to, to look at the competition, who's left in it, Man United should be looking to win that competition anyway. But the way things seem to be falling, you know, second spot looks really, really solid for them in the Premier League. Doesn't look like they're going to drop out the top four. Uh, no FA Cup to focus on um, at the minute. And Solskjaer's still looking for that first bit of silverware. Is this now where in terms of priorities lie and, and whatnot? That yes, all right, Thursday, you know, you probably go for a slightly weakened side, shall we say, because you have got that 2 nil advantage. But, but going into the semis, is this now a competition that Solskjaer has to play his best team in rather than trying to play them in the Premier League? I think so. I think, I mean, when you look at the teams that are left, you would like, we're likely to be looking at, for the Europa League, we're looking at probably Slavia, if, unless Arsenal can pull that out, uh, a windy away leg, which is, as we've seen, is very hard. Even the Invincible Rangers can do it. Um, the Ajax and Roma, I mean, right, they're both great teams. Uh, and then also in the other fixture, you might have to remind me on that one. But I think it's, I think overall on that point, though, it's interesting because I think there's something to aim for in the Premier League. Yes, the Champions League is secured, but right now, as United sit on 63 points, that's only 18 away from their best post Fergie performance, which was 2017 18, 81 points under of all people, Jose Mourinho. So I think, I think he should still go out and try and achieve that if they can better that. Show, so I can really put the show that yes, progress has really been made, and if we can also get that Europa League final, I think that would be fantastic. And getting the getting into that trophy, it would break this kind of hoodoo that United seem to have of semi-finals. So, in answer to your question, 
yes, keep putting that big, that best squad out for the quarterfinals. Maybe not so much in the case of Granada, that some of the youngsters show. But the teams, there's going to be big teams in that Europa League semi-final. There is the opportunity there to win silverware. But let's not rule out trying to do our best performance in the Premier League. I think if we can get over that 81-point mark, there's only 17, seven games to go, that's six wins. I think that's achievable, personally. Uh, it would be a massive statement for where United are in terms of their progress. And it would be a massive fit message going into the summer as well, trying to lure those talents, such as the ones we've already mentioned. So I think there's two things to aim for as we go into the latter stages of the season. Be nice as a, as a Spurs fan if we could have been aiming for those kind of things and instead we just got to uh, <laughs> comfort ourselves with a potential Carabao Cup win. Um, and <laughs> yes, against the all-conquering Man City. I don't see that going well for us in a couple of weeks' time. Um, but yeah, all we can do is hope for, for a strong end to the season, try and build and try and keep Harry Kane Um you know, I've just got to keep myself calm with those words, I think, for the next few weeks and through the summer. Um, you know, just keep telling myself, constantly reminding myself of that mantra. Um, listen, Warren, thanks for, for joining us today and thanks for putting up for my lousy Wi-Fi uh, as well at that time. A reminder to one of you guys watching uh, to tune in for our main show on Thursday, features some of the best writers from our national titles. Uh, all that's left for me to say is apologies again uh, for any technical gremlins that you may or may not have noticed throughout the show. Uh, thanks for watching and stay safe. 